Nothing happening here What it is ain't exactly clear Alright guys, we're back. It's Mr. Leesman. And I am Mr. King. And as always, the founding Pothers. And the reason why we kind of sound like not as enthused about this episode is because we're still carrying on that the topic of slavery and the abolition movement. So we are going to have another serious episode. Um, hopefully after this, it's gonna we'll go back to our normal shenanigans. Um, we yeah, will, but, uh, but for I mean, right now, no, no shenanigans with these uh, like serious topics. Right. right. So. Um, yeah. So since we already talked about slavery and its place in America during the 16th, uh, 16, 17, 1800s, uh, we want to talk about the abolitionist movement, um, basically the counter-slavery movement. So uh, what is abolitionism and who are abolitionists? Right. So like abolition uh, or the abolitionist movement, it basically means – abolition means the act or uh, action of abolishing something, basically – getting rid of something a practice institution um and in this instance we're talking about abolishing slavery right um so uh, the more that the south became reliant on slavery the more the opposition grew so uh, the more slaves that started to um manifest in the united states uh the, the more opposition or the more that that opposition grew out of it Right. And when we talk about abolitionists, what we are typically talking about are white religious Americans. Usually, like, there's a heavy religious, like, tone to it. Yeah, like, it, it's, like, uh, slavery is anti-Christian. Yes. Like, uh, um, treat people the way you want to be treated kind of thing. Ex- exactly. And it the became more an ethical s- religious. Oh, 100. It became, like, an ethical moral debate. It didn't become, like... It would later become more political, but it, at first, like, the, the heart of the movement was ethical and moral. Right, and as more slaves became freed, uh, many prominent black men and women would become the leaders of the movement. So it, it obviously there were <laughs> slaves that advocated for the abolition of slavery, uh, but it a lot of it started with religious leaders in the United States, mm-hmm. and then as more slaves became freed, then that's kind of when they took control of the actual movement. Um, right. So abolitionists saw slavery slavery as an abomination and a dark mark on the United States, which, I mean, you can't argue it against is. that. Uh, they simply wanted to get rid of slavery and slave ownership. They didn't want to slow it down. They didn't want to gradually uh, cut it out. Right. They, they wanted it gone. Gone, now, gone, gone. like yeah. immediately right. um they would send petitions to congress run for office and and that's when it became political is when a lot of the abolitionist people started getting elected um right. and they, they turned they it political. Realize, right they started to realize that people weren't going to just get rid of slavery out of the kindness of their hearts they needed to create legislature to force people and uh laws to stop slavery Right. Uh, so, in fact, there was a group called the American Colonization Society that was uh, founded in 1816. Uh, 1816, sorry. Mm-hmm. They they prop, uh, proposed the idea of freeing slaves and bringing them back to Africa. Uh, this idea right. was thought to be a compromise between anti-slavery activists and slavery supporters. <clears throat> yeah, it was kind of like the idea of like you know what like listen, we're gonna get rid of slavery. We're gonna bring you guys back. Um. And then we'll just – that'll be it. Yeah, and for example, uh, the country of Liberia was actually created and the capital was named uh, Monrovia, I believe is how you pronounce mm-hmm. it. Uh, the reason why I think it's pronounced that way is because it was named after James uh, – President James Monroe, uh, who was a supporter of the idea of sending slaves back to Africa. Yeah, he was he was in on this. That's, <clears> that's a like controversial a... matter within itself. Right. Like, because it kind of like – takes on that whole principle of like well then just go back i guess but uh, that's yeah. not that's not i don't but think that's, that's not 
no, it was like to be. it was kind of like they were trying to like write the fact that yeah, they like, were dragged here against their they will. They were taken away from their land. Yeah. yeah. Um. But back on the United States side, so the Missouri Compromise was passed in 1820. Something we'll get into in like the next we'll few episodes. That, yeah, we'll talk about that kind of stuff. Uh, next right. Episode. But just to give you some like background. Yeah, and because of that, oh, there was a a. a radical growth or rapid growth i'm sorry in the anti-slavery sentiment in the north yep um more slave states would be added to the united states the abolition as more slave states were added the abolitionist movement saw an increase in membership and by 1830 the movement became so much more organized and more radical efforts started to come in as more people joined and in 1850 congress actually had passed the fugitive slave act which um it made all escaped slaves that it required that they be returned to their owners and it went to as far as require american citizens to cooperate in capturing runaway slaves right and we're gonna talk like a lot more about the future slave act missouri compromise um i mean we're gonna talk about uh, the dred scott case a little bit too uh, yeah. next episode too but um this it, it goes to show that like there are a lot of things going on in the United States at this time mm-hmm. that is causing a lot of problems, a lot of tensions, and even though they're getting passed by the federal government, there are large groups of people standing up to those uh, pieces of legislation. Yeah. Um, so, like I had mentioned previously, the Dred Scott case, uh, like the Dred, Co- the Dred Scott case, uh, mm-hmm. said that uh, black people, free or not, didn't have uh, citizenship rights. Um, and uh, what I wanted to say before too is like uh, the Future Slave Act caused a lot of problems within its within its mm-hmm. own uh, because there were actually just like full blown born free uh, black people in the United States that were dragged into slavery as a result of this. So it causes a lot of issues. Uh, right. So this is not only this not only sparked outrage amongst the abolitionists, but it saw more people join their ranks. So um, so even though there's a lot of dark legislation and and government action taking place uh, a lot of people started to speak out and act out against these uh, these things mm-hmm. so let's talk about some of these famous abolitionists and right because a lot of them had a had a large effort in yeah. on in shaping american history and so first we're going to talk about william lloyd garrison he was an early abolitionist that he actually created a newspaper called the liberator which called for the immediate freeing of slaves yeah. Then you have Frederick Douglass, who we mentioned the last episode very briefly, but um, he was an escaped slave. Uh, he escaped slavery and published his own memoir uh, called The Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave. Uh, he was an inst- he was instrumental in not only the abolitionist movement, but also women's suffrage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we'll talk about women's suffrage also in another episode, but um, a lot of the people who supported women's suffrage saw slavery as the the greater evil mm-hmm. so they kind of abandoned their fight for women's suffrage for a, for a moment and joined the fight against abolition uh, so women's suffrage doesn't come until uh, way later uh after uh, slavery in the united states yeah in 1920 um but it's because you have various groups joining together creating these mega groups really um that you you start to see a lot of opposition for this stuff yeah. Uh, next up, we have Harriet Beecher Stowe, and we're going to get to her in a second. Um, but she wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin in it, and it really like showcased what slavery is for people that wouldn't have the experience of seeing it up close and personal. 
Yep. And then you have Susan B. Anthony, uh, who is an author, speaker, also a women's rights activist. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Brown, a radical abolitionist that organized various raids and uprisings. Yep. And lastly, you have Harriet Tubman, uh, who is a fugitive slave herself. She she escaped from a plantation in Maryland, and she was an abolitionist that helped slaves reach the North via the Underground Railroad. Yeah. By the way, uh, not a real railroad. No. Uh, but uh, it also wasn't underground. Uh, yeah. But um, but yeah, very not lastly, but Sojourner yeah. Truth is actually yeah. We actually we actually about, have bad. one more. That's okay. Yeah. We, we have one. More it was on the next page. So we have Sojourner Truth, uh, who is best known for her speech, Ain't I a Woman? Yeah. Uh, and she was an abolitionist and also a women's rights activist. So you, you start to see a lot of these people <clears> double dip <throat> in abolitionism and also women's rights activists. Uh, yeah. they, again, it, it was just a lot of people started calling out the ethical problems in the United States during this time, mm-hmm. uh, regardless if it was about slavery or just the treatment of people in general. Yeah. So let's let's talk. Let's uh, backpedal a little bit. We we had mentioned Harriet Beecher Stowe, so I want to talk about uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin. Um, yeah. Why that's important. So Harriet Beecher Stowe is an author that famously wrote about the plight of slaves in Uncle Tom's Cabin. Um, and when living in Cincinnati, uh, Stowe encountered fugitive slaves and the Underground Railroad. Yeah. So she actually got to experience a lot of it firsthand, um, and it. And by talking to these fugitive slaves, that she actually, um, you know, saw the message, saw like their experience, heard about their experiences, saw some of the mistreatment. You know, like we mentioned last episode, with like you know whippings, it, it'll leave a scar. So you know, she got to see some of that firsthand, and then she was inspired to write this message. And the novel itself talks; it's actually about a person named Tom, um, and you know. It conveys a super strong Christian message, saying that slavery is a sin, and it graphically depicted those horrors. Um, if I remember right, it's about he, Tom, um, you know, covered for slaves that started running away, um, and he, even though he was, you know, captured and he was like tortured, he, I kind of held on to that faith, um, and and it just super graphically picked up everything that's wrong with slavery yeah and the book was originally published as a series uh and then later as a two-volume novel mm-hmm. uh, the book sold ten thousand copies in the first week and a total a of over three hundred thousand copies in a single year also a lot right uh it, it also it was very popular in other nations like britain and france for example mm-hmm. it sold over a million copies in britain so it, it became very quickly it became an international sensation and after especially with uncle tom's cabin Mm-hmm. Um, the international like spotlight started to shine on the United States. Yes, and a lot of other nations like England and France, who have already gotten rid of slavery at this point, basically looked at the United States and said, uh, "What are you doing? Like, this is clearly a problem. You need to get rid of it." Right. So it put a I lot believe, of pressure. I believe Britain and I think by proxy, like Canada, had abolished the slave trade and abolished slavery in, like, 1833. So by, like, 1850, you know, that's a long time removed that they're like, guys, what are we doing here? Right. Uh, So this novel, like we had mentioned, brought slavery into the limelight and Mm -hmm. into the homes of those who had never got to see it personally. Because you have to remember, like, news travels very slow during this time yeah and you really only hear about things by word of mouth so when people can actually sit down and read and use their own like mind to envision what's going mm-hmm. on in these books it, it helps them kind of like come to terms with what 
Like it's, right. it's going on and, and like assess it for themselves rather than like play a game telephone or word of mouth kind of thing. And additionally, like a lot of slave owners and the one thing that the South was good at was they were able to put a spin and they were in control because of the lack of like word of mouth. They were able to like control their own PR around slavery. So like you really there were a lot of times like the whole like thing it was a lot of times kept secret and certain slave owners would be like oh but they like being slaves like they were like, yeah, like oh, that, they was a, that was a very popular argument but we're good we're, we're one of the nice slave owners yeah um which is like, they, like yeah. those 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 two words don't go hand in hand with each no. other you can't be i mean like it just just i'm not even gonna allow for the argument to no and so mean. and so this this book was able to shatter like that PR um, which you know like the pro-slave like at the end of the day it showed that slaves are in fact people and that they have hopes and dreams like everyone else pro-slavery advocates did everything they could to dehumanize black people and that novel was able to stop that and in the south it infuriated the slave owners because they wanted they did like we just said they did everything they could to keep that darker side of slavery a secret I mean they you know they did a lot of southern states did everything they possibly could to keep this book out of stores and the oh, grasp yeah. of the people oh. in their state oh, so yeah. the south outlawed a lot of the south southern states mm-hmm. outlawed the book uh and again it actually just further divides the south and the north so uh, we're going to talk about this in the next episode but this book creates quite the sectional divide oh yeah yeah, sectionalism. Sectionalism was never more rampant than like yeah. right up until the Civil War, the like yeah. the eve of the war. In um, fact, the Republican Party was created to help prevent slavery from spreading further. Yeah, uh, many consider this book to be part of the reason Abe Lincoln was in, uh, voted into office and like pushed. And it was like kind of like a catalyst for the Civil War. Um, and the rumor has is that upon meeting Lincoln, he looked at Stowe because she actually got Harry Beecher Stowe got to meet Lincoln. And when they met, he looked at her and said, "So you're the little woman that wrote the book that made this great war." Yeah, and that's actually one of my more favorite supposed lines of history. Yeah, like yeah. you have this like very large and in charge political politically powerful person looks at this woman who wrote a book right mm-hmm. and you know like when you write a book it can have some profound effect i mean it could just be like a book that never sees the light of day and just sits on the shelves of a local mm-hmm. store or it, could, or it could turn into like the next like whatever groundbreaking novel that exists and that's exactly what happened and yeah. it, you know it, it changed the world Kind of like how, like, today on Netflix you have certain documentaries or series that, like, really changes your perception of how you see things. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, that's what this did for people. It changed their perception. People that were, like, on the line of whether they supported or didn't support slavery or didn't feel like they wanted to weigh in on the on the yeah. matter of fact it changed it pushed them towards that we need to get rid of it yeah and 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 think about it somebody that lives in like new york someone that lives in like maybe pennsylvania or like yeah, they're not you know, massachusetts yet. they're not seeing slavery firsthand they've probably never even seen a slave um so like this was like their way of like actually getting experience with it Right. So um, now let's um let's let's talk about John Brown, which is a more severe case of abolitionism. Yeah. yeah. Um, There's different radical wings. Yeah, radical is a good word. Um, and so this guy was a big time abolitionist. Um, yeah. He was raised into a staunch Calvinist family, which is like a branch of Christianity, um, and they were. So super anti-slavery. Yeah. Again, there's that like religious anti-slavery aspect. Right. 
Brown himself was a failed businessman that had declared bankruptcy a few times um, by the age of 42. And he actually, this is a wild number that I found, he had more than 20 lawsuits filed against him. Yeah, I so, mean, one lawsuit against you is uh, too many lawsuits against you. Uh, yeah. He had 20. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people, especially like the pro-slavery uh, people, tried to write John Brown off as like this deranged, crazy dude yeah. that shouldn't be trusted. I mean, if you um, look at pictures of him, he doesn't look at, like exactly like, you know, he yeah, has he looks, a lot of his faculties. Right, yeah. Um, but let's let's talk about what he did, why why we're even mentioning his name. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, like, the fact he is a failed businessman uh, and whatever, but that's not the reason why we're bringing him up. Oh, no, so, no. Uh, things changed when he attended an abolitionist meeting, so he was so moved that he decided he would dedicate the rest of his life to just literally destroy slavery yeah he was Absolutely like hey, i will give my life for this yeah he actually takes play uh, he takes part in a uh in a fight that which we'll talk about later um a little bit more called bleeding kansas which yeah. he's part of like blues. those many many battles yeah there's a lot of there's a reason why they call it bleeding kansas um, right. but in 1857 john brown decided that he was he was basically done mm -hmm. uh just sitting around and he was going to lead a mass uprising of slaves uh, he assembled a group of 22 men. This included five black men and three of his sons. Mm -hmm. uh, then, basically what unfolds is that uh, he and these men rented a farm in Maryland uh, near, a, near a place called Harper's Ferry mm -hmm. and began getting ready to uh, basically got an assault prepared. And on October 16th, right. 1859, John Brown and his army overran the Harper's Ferry Armory. Yeah. Mr. Leisman, what is an armory? Oh, it's where you store guns, weapons, you know, um, artillery, like things that you need for a war or the military. So this is a, this is quite the power move. Uh, oh yeah. Because now they go from holding torches and pitchforks to like holding actual weapons, like cannons and things. Yeah. Like, like yeah. Some serious, some Firepower. serious weapons. Yeah. So they yeah. took people hostage, including a couple slaves. And as word spread, it wasn't long before Brown and his men surrendered. Um, they were able to do some damage. They killed quite oh, yeah. a lot of people, and it, it put a big scare into the eyes of a lot of slave owners or slave supporters. Um, uh, but eventually, his men were surrounded. U.S. Marines showed up on October 17th, led by Robert E. Lee. More on him later. Yeah. Um, and by October 19th, uh, the soldiers overran Brown and his men. Ten of his men were killed, including two of Brown's sons. Yeah, Brown himself was wounded and put on trial by the state of Virginia. Um, he was accused of treason. He was accused of murder. And he was found guilty on November 2nd and sentenced to death. Yeah, and at his execution, Brown gave his guard a, a slip of paper that read, I, John Brown, am now quite certain that the crimes of this guilty land will never be purged away but with blood. Basically saying that the only way we're going to get rid of slavery is, is through a revolution. And yeah, was he wrong? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, the, the entire nation unfolds into a brutal civil war. We're talking, this is like, you know, the late, this is like 1857, 1859 this takes place. I mean, the writing was on the wall. I mean, if you were to ask somebody in 1859, be like, hey, are we going to have a civil war? They'd be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it like was, it was at this point, it was a matter of when. Yeah, like, not I feel yet. right now, it's like a it's a meme that the United States is going to unfold in twenty twenty mm -hmm. into a civil war. But like, it was the real deal at this point. Yeah, um, a lot of southern or just uh, slavery supporters saw him as a, a terrorist. Yeah, oh yeah, and a lot of northerners, freed uh, slaves, slaves in general, or just abolitionists, anti-slavery people saw him as somewhat of a martyr 
that mm-hmm. he died for a cause. Yeah. Uh, and he was like seen as almost like a hero. Yeah. Right? So all in all, the raid was a failure, but it made the 1860 election all that more important. Which right. Is the, the Lincoln election. Right. Um, another thing we want to talk about is the uh, Underground Railroad. And so that term was first coined. So by now, I'm hoping you all have heard of the Underground Railroad. Um, yeah, I really so, hope so. Yeah. So the first time that this term was coined was in 1831 by a slave named Tice Davids that escaped from Kentucky to Ohio. His owner blamed an Underground Railroad for helping Davids reach uh, freedom. Yeah. So at that, at that point, that's what it was. They kind of like used that name as like yeah. the, the name for the the, the people that escaping. were people that were actually part of the Underground Railroad were like, I like it. Like they yeah, were like, that's like actually good. I guess like off a little bit of a tangent here. Um, that's kind of like how the whole protestant people got their name like oh yeah the catholic church were like look at these dirty protesters they're a bunch of pro- protestants you know pro- protestants yeah. and they were like we like it boom and <laughs> yeah. that's, that, that name stuck right. uh but back back to the underground Railroad. so then in 1839 a slave that was captured revealed under torture uh that his plan to escape was following a quote-unquote underground railroad to boston yeah, uh, but, but like, what was the Underground Railroad? How did it work? Right. So, I mean, we've already talked about the whole idea of fugitive slave laws. We talked about the one that was passed in 1850, but the first one was passed in 1793 that made capturing escaped slaves into a lucrative business. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were this, literally they, like man, man hunters. Oh, yeah. And because of this, there were fewer places to hide slaves that were trying to run away. Um, on that Underground Railroad, which is basically like that unofficial like network of places to places to go, um, there are people that were considered conductors that basically helped like guide the slaves. So they would go and they would be like, all right, come with me. They would go and pick them up and, and like show them the way to go. Um, conductors would hide slaves in private homes, churches, schoolhouses. They were called stations, safe houses, depots. Um, yeah, and, and actually they, um, a lot of the people that were like, involved in the underground railroad whether they were actual quote-unquote conductors or just people that would allow slaves to stay at their home or mm-hmm. whatever like allow them to hide on their property um they would use like a series of symbols mm-hmm. and you can it, it's very hard to explain what they look like so you can go ahead and google it um and a lot of the times what they would do is they would put these symbols like on quilts or flags and hang them outside to dry quote-unquote yeah. dry outside their house or like if it was a flag fly it outside their house so that like if you saw it, you knew it was a safe space yes. or you knew like if you headed in a certain direction, it was not safe to go. So, yeah. so they used a variety of symbols and stuff like that to, um, I guess, like converse between each other. Yeah. So like talking I, about it was very dangerous. Yeah. I'm looking at like some of them like right now. And so like there is one, it was like in the shape of like almost like a star looking thing because it says, you know, look to the skies to help you to navigate the way, follow the North Star to Canada. Um, you know, it was like one of those deals that that's how people would like know what direction to head is they would follow the North star. Uh, another one, it was, um, I I know there's like a symbol that would be like, avoid the road. There are slave hunters on it. Yeah. It's like the drunkard's path. And it's like a certain way. It's like, Hey, they're, they've been spotted nearby. Go backwards. Uh, one flying geese says, follow the migrating geese to Canada. Um, that we, again, you know, which way to go. You have the log cabins. It's like, congrats. You've learned, you've reached a safe house. Um, there's tumbling blocks. It says, you know, the time has come to box up your belongings. Your escape will happen soon. Um, you know, all things to look for. Right. Yeah. So I, I always thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, no, agreed. So, um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, 
some of those well-used routes so that we were talking about like oh you have to follow the way um they they brought you from like areas to like they brought you through areas like ohio indiana iowa some headed through pennsylvania into new england um so like boston it was like a usual spot uh i feel like for a lot of like runaway slaves to go to um that was like far enough away i guess uh but some of them a lot of them would just continue on their way to canada um, and so the fug- and then by 1850, you had the Fugitive Slave Act from 1850. It was basically strengthening the law. We kind of already talked about it, but basically created harsher penalties for the people that were violating and made northern states at higher risk because now it was like one of those deals that even if you were found in like Boston or like you know New York, you well, still were brought- law. So. Yeah, so you ha- you had to be brought back. So basically, what happened was that incentivized a lot of these people on the Underground Railroad to go to Canada. Um, right. Because Canada offered black people the freedom to live where they wanted, sit on juries, run for public office. There was no slavery. So if you got to Canada, you were free. You were, you were free, free. And American yeah. citizens that were uh, slave capturers or, you know, like even just police, like forces that were used to capture these slaves, they, they have no jurisdiction. They just can't like walk into Canada. Right. And, and then, f- then they're causing quite the tussle, not only with Canada, but – Britain. With England, yeah. yeah. So, like, this is something that they they can't deal with. So, anyway, some wanted uh, uh, extradition uh, for escaped slaves, but any effort failed. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the whole idea that it's like, hey, uh, hey, Canada, turnover of any of like the, the people that might be slaves. Um, it's completely up to the country that is harboring someone that may or may not have committed a crime in another nation and to canada and canada was not about that they weren't gonna no be in fact over. actually uh, france famously will not extradite any of their citizens yeah uh, so if you commit a crime if you're a french citizen you commit a crime in the united states and you somehow get to france you unless they leave france you will never get that person in the united states yeah again so uh, but just a fun little fact, I guess. But right. uh, one of the most famous conductors of the Underground Railroad, we've mentioned her before, but it was Harriet Tubman. Uh, mm-hmm. Tubman herself was an escaped slave, and uh, she and two of her brothers escaped the plantation in Maryland. Uh, she would later return to the plantation several times to rescue family members and others. Right. Um, so I believe the original story is that her husband, uh, Tubman, was actually a free man. And then she had made all these trips am- among the Underground Railroad. And in fact, she was like, all right, like, all right. Like, she went to go get her husband and be like, all right, it's time. Like, you're going to come with me. We're going to go up north. And he was like, "Now nah, I'm good here. And it turns out he had decided to, got, to get remarried. Because the whole idea was that they couldn't um, recognize, I guess, the the, the original marriage because she was considered a slave. So he was yeah, like, "Yeah, I think we we mentioned that last time." Yeah, he's like, "Nah, I got married." Yeah, so uh, that's kind of so messed up. Instead of getting mad and like freaking out and stuff, it said that she channeled her anger into helping more slaves escape to freedom. Yeah, um, and so like some of these notes, you know, we, we get them from a variety of sources. Um, yeah, for and example, so, like the History Channel. Yeah, and so like the History Channel tells the story that like the the Underground Railroad stopped in around, around 1863 because at this point the Civil War is heating up. It is like well underway, and the, a lot of like the Union Army and the Union 
started undertaking some of these like efforts yeah like of for example if, if if the union army won a battle and there were like plantations where slaves were being uh, held at the time yeah uh, and they were able like to capture the territory before they were moved or something they would just immediately release the slaves yeah so so yeah i mean and that's like the meat and potatoes of the abolition movement for for you guys um you got the underground railroad fugitive slave act John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry. Yeah, maybe we talked know. about some other important people. We have we have covered a lot for you guys. Um, so yeah, so, uh, yeah I, I hope you enjoyed uh, the episode. Um, yeah, and we'll we'll dive more into like the causes of the Civil War section and the whole sectionalism. Like that, yeah, that, that's coming uh, soon. in our in our next episodes to follow. All right, but uh, that, that's it. All right, bye. Follow the drinking god. Follow the drinking gourd For the old man is coming Just to carry the freedom Follow the drinking gourd When the sun comes back And the first quail calls Follow the drinking gourd For the old man is waiting Just to carry the freedom Follow the drinking god. Follow the drinking god. Follow the drinking god. For the old man is waiting to carry you to freedom. Follow the drinking god. Well, the river bank makes a mighty good road. Dead trees will show you the way Left foot, peg foot Traveling on Follow the drinking gourd Follow the drinking gourd Follow the drinking gourd For the old man is waiting to carry you to freedom Follow the drinking gourd Well, the river ends between two hills. Follow the drinking god. There's another river on the other side. Follow the drinking god. Follow the drinking god. Follow. You too.